Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're gonna hear some practical teaching from God's word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus as your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Oh, hi. I didn't see you there. You've joined us for another edition of a weekend service here at Emmanuel Church. Hi, my name's Cody Johnson, campus pastor at the Emmanuel Church Greenwood campus. You might remember me for some of my work on the Savage Jesus talk, or perhaps that little ditty I did on complaining or jealousy. What a wild ride we've had together. <laughs> well, today, listener, I'm not going to be talking to you about any of those things. In fact, I'd like to ask you a question. What if I could offer you this tiny pill. And in this pill, I could offer you a chance to decrease your anxiety, lower your depression, lower your blood pressure, and get rid of those pesky headaches. Would you be interested? Of course you would, listener. Of course you would. What if I could tell you this same pill could also improve your immune system, improve your heart health, improve your self-esteem, and increase your capacity for forgiveness? Would you want to take this magic bean? I'm sure that you would. Unfortunately for you, that doesn't work. And this pill is not going to give you any of those things, so I'm going to put it back in this tiny bowl on this tiny table. What we are going to do today, listeners, we're going to take a little trip. We're going to talk about the big G, and I don't mean Germany. We're going to be taking a little trip to Gratitude Town, and I hope that you'll join me. How was that? Was the cheese too much? A little bit too much? A lot of cheese on that. A lot of cheese. Well, hey, we are going to talk about gratitude today, so I'm glad that you've decided to join me. Let's throw that definition up there, shall we? So gratitude is the quality of being thankful, the readiness to show an appreciation for and to return kindness. I love the first part. I think we're all pretty familiar with that, the idea of being thankful. But that last part is something I really enjoy because it's an active state. I'm ready to return this kindness, and I love that a lot. So what are the benefits of gratitude? Is everything that I said in that corny infomercial actually true? Well, actually it is. There are a ton of great benefits to gratitude, whether it is lowering your anxiety, decreasing the instances of depression. You can get rid of headaches through practicing gratitude. You can actually lower your blood pressure through it. Your immune system gets better. Your heart gets better. All of these unbelievable benefits, and they're actually backed by research and they're backed by science. The Mayo Clinic has shown that if you do a daily gratitude practice, whatever it is, some people keep like a gratitude journal and they just write things down every day that they're thankful for. Or maybe it's through prayer, you, ex you express gratitude through prayer. Those have shown to have serious health and social and emotional benefits for your life. Harvard Medical School, School released a study where they tracked an experiment from two psychologists, one out in California, one down in Miami. And what they did is they got a group of people together and they divided them into three groups and they tracked something for 10 weeks. So what they did was they said, okay, group A, we want you to write down everything that you are thankful for for 10 weeks. Just write it down in a journal. We'll follow up with you. Group B, we want you to write down everything that irritates you, everything that annoys you. You write that for 10 weeks. We'll follow up. Now, group C, we just want you to exist. You write down everything that happens, good, bad, or indifferent. We'll follow up with you in 10 weeks. Great. Awesome. And what they found was that after 10 weeks, the gratitude group was more optimistic. 
They were happier, they were healthier, and they went to the physician's office, they went to the doctor's, the doctor's office less times than groups B or C, all because they chose to express gratitude and make it part of their daily habit. Very fascinating stuff. And that's not just true in real life today, or it's not just true in science or the medical field. It's also true when you look at the Bible as well. When you think about Paul, Paul, responsible for writing most of the New Testament, wrote a lot of letters in the New Testament, experienced this crazy, amazing conversion in his life when he realized who Jesus Christ was, and then he wanted to live for Jesus. And when he wrote a letter to the Thessalonians, he talked about his perspective on gratitude. But before we get to that, we got to talk about some of the trials that he endured. Because if you read through the Bible, he experienced probably more than just about anybody in the Bible. Here are some of my favorites. So he was in prison. He was thrown in jail. It says he faced death often. It's not enough that he faced death just once or twice. He did it all the time. He was beaten with rods publicly. He was stoned, not recreationally. And while he was in prison, he was abandoned by all of his family and his friends, and he was shipwrecked, not once, not twice, but three times. How many of you have ever been shipwrecked? Of course you haven't. Technology doesn't allow us to get shipwrecked anymore. And we live in the Midwest. None of you have ships. So he was was shipwrecked three times. So he endures all this. And in his letter to the Thessalonians, this is his perspective, and this is his attitude on gratitude. He says, be thankful in all circumstances, not just some, not just the good, in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And I think this is important to note, in all circumstances. He's not saying be thankful for all circumstances. He's not thankful for the fact that he's in the public square and people are throwing rocks at his head. He's not thankful for the fact that people are beating him with sticks. He's not thankful that he's in prison, but in all those circumstances, because he knows who Jesus Christ is, he can be thankful because his eyes are focused on the right things. So it seems pretty simple. It seems pretty logical. This is something we should do. It's beneficial for our heart. It had an amazing effect on Paul's life. It's God's will for our life. So yeah, we should do this, but we don't do it. And why don't we do it? I think if you look at the human species, we're, we're not very good at it. We're kind of lousy at it when you really get down to it. But why are we so bad at this? I will tell you, it's your first fill-in. It's because gratitude is hard. Gratitude is hard. It is not an easy thing to be grateful. But why is gratitude so hard for us? We're gonna talk about that today. First reason is that we're rushed. We are rushed. We are so busy going from thing to thing, event to event. If you've got kids, you're going from a practice to a game to a choir event to a band event to a production for Christmas time of Frozen. You're doing all these different things. Bouncing around, life is crazy. So you don't have time to stop and pause and be grateful for the blessings in your life because you are actually sprinting from blessing to blessing, not taking time to acknowledge the current blessings in your life because you're trying to get to the next blessing. We don't have time to be grateful because we are so rushed Another thing that we do, and we are great at this, is that we compare. If we are lousy at being grateful, then we are Olympic gold, medicine, Olympic gold medalists at comparison. We're so good at this. But when we compare, we don't do it in a way that elevates how we feel about ourselves. We always do it in a way that tears us down. We do it in a way that beats ourselves up. And we'll compare ourselves to anything. We'll do it in public. We'll do it in church. We'll do it on social media. We'll do it on Instagram. We'll do it absolutely anywhere. I'm guilty of this, and I've done some comparing today. I compare myself to other people all the time. I don't know if you've noticed this, but my beard is coming in a little bit longer right now. I'm pretty happy with it. It's got a little bit more body. It's in that soft stage. It's looking pretty good. It's not scratchy. It's not itchy. But I compare my beard to what other beards look like in the wild. I do this all the time. 
I do this right here at church. I don't know if some of you know this, but some of you guys here have really nice beards, and I hope that doesn't come across as strange or odd, because as, as I say it, it's really strange that I'm talking about this. But I do compare my beard to other beards, and the one thing I'm fixated on right now is the color, because I don't know if you've noticed this, mine is kind of red, but when I look at other beards, like I see people with a little white or a little gray in their beard, and I think, man, I, that kind of looks good. I'd kind of like some of that. It'd be kind of nice to add a little salt to the cinnamon. That'd be good. Maybe add a little cream cheese to the pumpkin roll. I would dig that. That'd be really nice. And I can't be thankful for the fact that I, can, that I have a beard, that I can grow one. I've got family members that can't grow a beard at all. I can't be thankful for that because I'm comparing all the time. Another thing that we do is we don't get our way. And why would we be grateful for something if we don't get what we want? Goodness gracious. If it doesn't go your way, why would you be thankful for anything? And we do this all the time. You might've done this for Black Friday shopping. Because maybe you did some research, got the family together, you're going out and you want the 57-inch 4K smart TV, you found the best price point, you've been hunting for online, you know exactly where to go, but then when you get there, you can't get the 57, it's sold out, so you have to settle for a 55-inch or a 50-inch, and they have to watch TV like a wild animal. How are you supposed to live this way? You can't be thankful for the fact that you can afford a TV, you got to be ungrateful and you have to be bitter because now I didn't get what I wanted. And maybe when you go out to eat, you're not the type of person who orders steak all the time, so when you do, you want it just your way. You want it medium rare, maybe with a little blue cheese crust on top of it, delicious. But when you order it and it comes, it's medium well. It's like a catcher's mitt. It's like you're eating a boot. This is terrible. And it didn't blow towards the blue cheese. Now it's just this moldy cheese on a piece of overcooked meat. I can't be grateful for this. I'm gonna let the server have it, not knowing that he or she, the person that's serving you, might just be trying to push their way through college or they're working a second or a third job and they're just trying to do the best they can. Can't be grateful for them because it didn't go your way. Doggone it. And that happens sometimes. Another reason why it's so hard to be grateful is that we focus on the wrong things. Our focus is way off. And you think about this, this looks different for each of us, but think about how it might look in your life. So for example, in your marriage, are you focused on the fact that that person said yes to you? Are you grateful for the fact that you get to live with them and there's a person in your life that you can call your spouse and you love them, you adore them and you care for them? Or are you always picking apart the things that they don't do, trying to mention their shortcomings, areas that they fall short? Are you doing that? When, you're, when your kids play sports, are you focused on their coach in a positive way or are you focused on their coach in a negative way? Are you thankful for the fact that they take time and energy to coach your kid through that particular sport and teach them about sportsmanship and integrity in the game? Or are you focused on the ways that they're not giving you what you want and how they're falling short? Do you do that with the officials? Are you thankful that the official is there? Are you illustrating all of the shortcomings they have at their job? We're really good at that. Where's your focus at? And I want to share something with you. It's a, it's a story that's kind of personal to me, and I've actually never shared it publicly. So don't know how this is going to go. Hopefully it goes pretty well. And when I told my wife I was going to share this story about my lack of focus and what a life without gratitude can look like and how it can harm you, she said, no, wait a minute. You didn't tell me this until we were married for five years, and now you're just going to randomly share it with the church and share it with the entire congregation? And I said, yes, honey, I'm so glad you understand. Thank you. <laughs> Such a team player. So here it goes. When, when I was, from the time I was about four years old to the time I was 21, I was a wrestler. And I don't mean wrestling in the sense of like the turnbuckle and WrestleMania and the heavyweight title belt. I mean like high school wrestling, college wrestling, like that kind of thing. And it wasn't just that I wrestled. I absolutely loved it. Like it was my life in every sense of the word. And this is way, way, way before I knew Jesus. 
And so I gave everything I had to this. And, I, and, and it was just something that I loved. It, it filled me up. It gave me confidence. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about my life through wrestling. But when I was doing it, something happened and it went from being this thing that brought me joy and it went from being something that I liked doing and it turned into something a little bit darker and a little bit more sinister because I got my identity wrapped up in it. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that with something you're involved with. Maybe it's a hobby, maybe it was a sport for if you're a student, maybe it's your grades, maybe it's a job, your marriage, your relationship. But the dangerous thing about this is when you get your identity wrapped up in something predicated on success or failure, then your success goes up and your self-confidence goes up and your value goes up and your self-worth goes up. But when you lose a game, you lose a tournament, you have a bad practice, the value, the worth, and the confidence, they tank. And that happened to me. And it was that way for a long time. And I could never be grateful for anything with wrestling. I had to experience a lot of really cool things. I got to travel all over the place. I got to travel to Fargo, North Dakota, Topeka, Kansas, Greeley, Colorado, Waterloo, Iowa, Battle Creek, Michigan, Evanston, Illinois, Virginia Beach, Virginia, all over the country just so I could wrestle and get the best competition you could get. My parents shelled out a ton of money to do this. Was I grateful for any of that? No. I was never grateful because that was never the point. Internally, the point was domination. The point was to be the best you could possibly be. The point was when somebody walks out across the mat from me, my goal is to make you never want to do this again. That was the point, sole focus. It was never about gratitude. I was never thankful for the relationships I had with other wrestlers from other schools. I was never thankful for my brothers who kept showing up to be my practice partners, thumping after thumping after thumping, and they just keep coming back. I was never thankful for any of that. I was never thankful for the fact that I got to spend all this time with my parents on those trips because the sole focus and sole goal was a state title, a state championship. That was all I was building for. I was obsessed with it. I couldn't let it go. I couldn't sleep. I would stay up late in my night and I'd do stance and motion drills in my stereo up in my room. My parents would hit the wall and tell me to turn it down. I'd be doing push-ups until midnight, one in the morning. It didn't matter because I was so obsessed with this thing. And I finally got my chance to do it my senior year of high school. I get to the state finals match. It's me and this other dude. They drop the spotlight. It's at Banker's Life Arena. They do the walkouts. I do the intro. They drop the lights. It's insane. It's all I've ever wanted. And I get there. I put my foot on the line, and they blow the whistle. And six minutes later, I lose, 12 to 10. What do you think happens to a guy that's got no faith in Jesus, no faith in anything, He's got his identity so wrapped up in this that he can't tell where the wins and losses end and he begins. What do you think happens to him internally? I was crushed. It felt like something in my brain broke. And I don't know if I was depressed, but I do know that I hated everything myself the most. I hated myself for a long time after that because I couldn't, I couldn't make it make sense in my brain. I was so ungrateful for the journey. I had people come up to me and saying like, man, you made it, like that's so amazing. I would have killed for an opportunity to do that. Didn't matter because to me it was a colossal failure on the biggest scale possible. I got called down to the athletic director's office about a week or two after because they want me to get sized up for the ring because you get a ring when you take first or second in the state in anything. And I'm getting my ring sized. I'm like, hey, what do you want to do with it? And I said, I don't want it. Keep it. Why don't you put it in the display case down here in the athletic hallway because I'm not taking it home. I want nothing to do with it. And the assistant athletic director said, you're going to want this someday. You're going to want to share this with your kids. It may not make sense now, but you're going to want this to, as a keepsake. And I said, I want nothing to do with it. You figure it out. They had to send it home with another student because they were worried I was going to throw it in the trash. How embarrassing is that to conduct yourself that way, to be that ungrateful? That's how I was. I couldn't even be grateful for the fact that I got to wrestle in college. 
A small percentage of people get to play college sports. I should have been eternally grateful for the coaching staff, the facilities, my partners. Should have been grateful for all that. I was grateful for nothing because now it was all about replacing that void that had been left in my heart from that loss. That's all I could focus on. So now I got even more obsessed. I got even more absorbed. I was working harder, sacrificing more time with my family, my friends, my girlfriend at the time. Everything was on the back burner because this is all that I wanted. Then I get two and a half years into college and I look in the mirror and I hate myself more than ever because I'm not having the success that I want. I can't stand what I see. So over Christmas break, my junior year, I walk into my coach's office and 45 minutes before practice, I say the two words I've never said up to that point in my life. Two words I never thought would come out of my mouth. I quit. Here's the best part. I got nobody else to blame but myself. It was all my fault. 100% take accountability and ownership for all of it because I could have been grateful for everything up to that point. But here's the thing I learned about living a life without gratitude at 21 years of age. If you live a life without gratitude, you can push the thing that you love most right out of your life. That is 100% certain. That can happen. And I share this as a cautionary tale, but I also share this as a guy that got this wrong, and I want you to hear this more clearly than anything I say to you today. I don't want this for you. I can't tell you how badly I messed that up. And I don't want that for your life. I do not want you to live a life without gratitude because it will mess you up. Instead, what I want is you to take Paul's approach and I want you to be thankful and grateful in all circumstances. That is what I want for you. So now that we know what this looks like when it goes south and when it goes bad, now that we know how important it is to be grateful, what are we gonna do about it? How are we gonna be grateful in all circumstances? I'll tell you how. The first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna pause. Oh, it's 15 seconds. Oh, man. Some of you are like, get to the next word, man. Come on. Like, we got to go. It's so hard to pause, but we have to pause. We've got to pause. It's so important for, for restoration. It's so important for recovery. It's so important for spiritual rejuvenation. It's so important to pause so that we can actually take time to remember who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. As, in, as mixed martial arts, Jorge Masvidal would say, it is super necessary to pause. We have got to pause and we've got to get this right. And when I think about this pause as a way to reflect and restore, the one thing I think of is the movie Tombstone. How many of you, think, how many of you seen the movie Tombstone here? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. There we go. So that's my favorite movie. It's a Western. It was made in like the early to mid-90s. Doc Holliday, Val Kilmer, Wyatt Earp. It's a great, great story. But when Doc Holliday, or excuse me, when Wyatt Earp and his brothers Morgan and Virgil are getting off the train in Tombstone, they're with their wives and they're all standing together and they're all taking a moment just to be appreciative of that time that they're together as a family. And they stop in front of this mirror and they're just kind of taking it all in. And Morgan, the youngest brother, he comes up and he starts to say something. Wyatt cuts him off. He's like, no, 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 don't talk. Just, yeah. And they take that moment in, they reflect and they, they take that moment to acknowledge how grateful they are to, to be together as a family. I thought that was so cool, and that's something that I always think of. You can even find this in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. I want you to check this out, this idea of pausing. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. That's a lot of work to knock out in six days. I feel like we're undermining that. What did you do? Uh, everything. <laughs> all of it. Six day, uh, all of it. Done. Yep, did all of it. They just kind of casually throw it in there. I love that. 
So he finished his work of creation, and then he rested from all his work. Like, we highlight that in yellow because I, I can't emphasize that enough. All of the work, all of it, every single thing, all of it. And God blessed the seventh day, and he declared it holy because it was the day when he rested again from all his work of creation. God answered not one email on that day. Nothing. He didn't make any deals like we do as Americans. Like we take time, we're like, you know what? I'll, I'll take the day off. I'll make this day my Sabbath day, but I'm going to answer like 10 emails. Or I'll take this day my Sabbath day. I'm only going to go into work for a little bit. Or I'll take this day as my Sabbath day and I'll play with my kids after I do this thing. No, 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 no. He took a break from all of it because even God was self-aware to know that he can't go 100 miles an hour seven days a week. But we think that we can because we know better and we try to outwork God, don't we? We do that all the time. No, 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 I'll rest later. It's, all, it's not a big deal. No. And we wonder why we're anxious. We wonder why we're tired. We wonder why we're stressed out. It's because we are working at a pace that is seemingly trying to surpass God. So when you're tired and you're sick and you're like, man, I don't know what's going on. Don't try to outwork God anymore. Get some rest. Make that day holy. Receive it as Sabbath. Eugene Peterson talks about it this way, and it's great. He says, Sabbath is the time set aside to do nothing, nothing, so that we can receive everything. To set aside our anxious attempts to make ourselves useful, to set aside our tense restlessness, to set aside our media-saturated boredom. Sabbath, or rest, is the time to receive silence and let it deepen into gratitude. Man, this is your time with God. Don't rush through it. That silence, that gap, we talk about it in the Unhurried series a few, a few weeks back. You can go back and check that out on the podcast or YouTube. Creating that margin, you create that margin so you can get that time to be with God and let it deepen into gratitude. That's the point of it. Don't rush through that. Do not rush through that. You've got to make a decision. You might have to say no to people, and that's all good because it matters that much. You've got to make that decision. We also have to decide that I don't have to get my way. That's a big decision we got to make. i got to decide that I don't have to get my way. They go back to Paul in a letter he wrote to the Philippians when he's, he's actually on house arrest and he's writing a letter to thank people for giving him some money. And in Philippians, he says this. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. This idea of being humble this is all about putting people ahead of yourself. It's all about putting other people first. Pastor Danny talks about it sometimes, especially in the confines of a marriage, preferring the other person, preferring the spouse. You need to prefer other people. This is very important. And you can do this in a lot of different ways. It doesn't need to be a big way. So say if you're in a, a relationship, you're in a marriage, instead of getting your own way all the time, trying to watch a football game, maybe it's looking over at your wife and saying, you know what, you know, why don't we watch Pioneer Woman tonight? Why don't we do that? Why don't we see how she makes a, a southern quiche? Why don't we do that? Oh, man, she put two sticks of butter in it? Baby, that's awesome. That's cool. You know, maybe you do something like that. Or maybe when you're, maybe when you're going out to eat, instead of rushing in the door and, like, slamming the door on the people behind you that are also coming in to grab a meal, maybe you hold the door open for them and you let them go in first so they can put their name in and they can eat before you do. I know that's tough. I'm guilty of that sometimes, too. But those are just a couple different ways you can put people first and humble yourselves. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time that you did this? When is the last time you put somebody before yourself? It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to think about. Maybe some of you are really good at it, but if you're not so good at it, maybe this is a good time for a heart check. It's a good time of year to do it. And in the book, The Ego is the Enemy, Ryan Holiday talks about humility. He says, when we remove ego, we're left with what is real. 
What replaces ego is humility, yes, but rock-hard humility and confidence. And that confidence comes from knowing what you need to do and how you need to live. Because we're not called to put ourselves first, we're called to put others before us. That's the same model that Jesus did. How humble was Jesus to come down here and do what he did for us? Even just to come down and live as a human being. He was God. He had all the power available to him in the universe, but instead he comes down here, is born as an infant, grows into a man, subjects himself to being mocked and beaten, all these different things because he wanted to serve. It's the perfect model to follow. It's just a shift in perspective. It's a, it's a different way to think about things. It's a different way to focus. The last thing we need to do, this might be one of the most important, is we need to focus on what we have. Got to focus on what we have. I love what Brene Brown says about this, this idea of, of focus. I don't have to chase extraordinary moments to find happiness. We get caught up in that idea. We think that these extraordinary moments are the only cause for gratitude, the only cause for us to be thankful. Like that big first birthday party for the kids. It's got to be the biggest thing in the world. We can be thankful for that. We can only be thankful around Thanksgiving or Christmas. It's not true. Because it's right in front of me. If I'm paying attention and if I'm practicing gratitude, it's all right there. And a lot of times we forget about the thing that's the easiest thing to be grateful for. It's our relationship with Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for us. We forget that one all the time. Because we're rushed. Because we're trying to get our way. And our focus is off just a little bit. And I want to go back to that letter that Paul was writing in Philippians because he's got a really interesting perspective, but I want you to think about it in a little bit different way. It's verses 11 through 13, chapter 4. It says, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned that the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I want to hang out here for a second. This, this one, this verse gets a lot of publicity. This gets a lot of press. And I want to say this to you. If this is your anchor verse, this is your life verse that you use to get you out of bed in the morning because you're racked with anxiety or depression, this gets you through the day, keep it. If you've just lost somebody and this is the verse that gives you strength to push on and find support and to take solace in Jesus Christ, keep it. But what I want you to do is to take the two verses before it and use it to strengthen it for you and to strengthen your understanding and make it a little bit more personal because this is all about finding contentment in Jesus Christ. Yes, it's good to be thankful for the, the blessings and the gifts in our lives, but to have that ultimate contentment and to focus all of our gratitude and all that energy on Jesus Christ, man, that's going to open up so many doors for you and you're going to experience a freedom unlike anything you've ever felt before when it comes to your heart, when it comes to your soul, when it comes to being truly grateful. And I can tell you that I've had experience with that in my life. I told you a little bit about my experience with wrestling, but the cool thing about it is God didn't leave the story there. And I'm so thankful for that because once I accepted Christ and once I stepped into that relationship in 2011, five years after I had lost in that state title match, when my focus was crystal clear and my love and my adoration and my gratitude was so focused on Jesus, man, it changed my life forever. And it was almost like I was able to see wrestling and that thing I loved through his perspective instead of my own. Because now he was my source of perfection. He was my only source of victory. He's the only thing that I need to put stock in when it comes to my self-worth and confidence. He's my everything. And once he's my everything, now I'm, in free to, I'm just free to enjoy wrestling for what it is. And it changed my life. I actually got to coach on two different high school teams after I trusted in Christ. 
because my head was in the right place. And now when young men and young women would come off the mat, win or lose, yeah, we're gonna talk about being physical. We're gonna talk about being intense. We're gonna talk about having great technique. All those things are important, but win or lose when you come off the mat, you're still valued, you're still loved. You're still a unique human being. You're still awesome. It's all good, win or lose. That's not the most important thing in the world. How you conduct yourself, how you live your life to glorify Christ, that's the biggest thing. And I can tell people that because my focus is in the right place. There's a weekend in February every single year where you will not find me here because I actually go to the state tournament now. There was a five-year gap from 2006 to 2011 where I couldn't go to Banker's Life Fieldhouse. Five years, I didn't go. I wouldn't take free Pacers tickets. I wouldn't take anything. But now I go back every year. Not only do I go, I'm the dork sitting mat side at the state tournament with a microphone in my face because I get to do play-by-play color commentary at the state tournament. It's an absolute blast. And by the end of it, I've got no voice. It's so much fun. And and I'm just free to enjoy it because it's a blessing. It's something that God's given me because my focus is in the right place. The coolest thing about all of this, though, is that now if we're at the house and there happens to be a a college wrestling match on that that I'm watching, I got a four-year-old daughter and she just wants to be involved in anything daddy's involved with. So she'll kind of like toddle into the room and she'll look at me and she'll say, Daddy, can I watch this with you? And now I get to take the same pause that Wyatt Earp did when he got off the train in Tombstone. And I can sit there with my daughter and I can just appreciate that moment and I can be grateful in that moment for her, for wrestling, for everything. I can take that same pause that God did after the sixth day of creation when he looked out and he saw that everything he had created was good and he could take that moment and pause and reflect and he could be grateful. I can take that same moment And I can take that same pause and I can look at her and I can say, yes, we can watch this and we can enjoy this together. Because now my focus is in the right place. My heart's in the right place. And I know that Jesus is my source of perfection. I don't have to chase that anymore. That's what having a right focus and a right attitude towards God. And that's what having gratitude in your life can look like. So I want to ask you, what would this look like in your life? If you could stop the rush And if you could pause for just a little bit, if you could pause and you can make one day out of your week a day where you could receive everything, where you could engage in a Sabbath, what would that look like for you? If you could decide that you don't have to get your way and you could prefer your spouse and you could put other people first, whether it's a coworker, a stranger, a friend, a family member, man, what would that look like in your life if you could get your focus so fixated and so laser sharp on Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for you? Man, I'm telling you, if you can do that and you could just slow it down a little bit and you can get your gratitude right, you're gonna experience that sense of freedom like nothing the world can offer. And for some of you today, you're craving that sense of freedom. You feel locked up, you feel rushed, you feel busy, everything's gotta go your way or your world falls apart. Your focus is scattered, you're all over the place, you don't know what to do. But maybe you came today and we're talking about Jesus and something's stirring in you, maybe something's been stirring in you for a while. Or somebody at work invited you here and you don't know what it is, but you're feeling some type of pull. Man, you need to know that Jesus Christ, the one who came down and humbled himself enough to live right alongside you and me, that same Jesus, the same Jesus that lived a perfect sinless life, gave his life for you on the cross as a perfect sacrifice. He died, he was crucified, he was mocked, he was beaten. And he did that. And he rose again three days later, conquering the penalty of sin and death so that you and I can have a relationship with God the Father. 
And some of you have not stepped into that. Some of you have not trusted that. Some of you have not chosen to be grateful for that. But maybe today is the day when you decide, I want to be grateful for that sacrifice. Today is the day I'm ready. And if that's, if that's you, I wanna walk you through that right now. I wanna give you the chance to do that. So here's what you do. You just simply ask for forgiveness for your sins. You go to Jesus right now. You tell him, I'm broken, I'm a sinner, I've messed up, but I wanna turn away from all that junk. And man, I just wanna follow you forever. I'm thankful for your sacrifice. I acknowledge that you died on a cross. I acknowledge that you rose again three days later. God, help me. If you do that, you have a relationship with Christ. So I'm gonna lead you in a simple prayer. You take these words, make them your own. Let's pray. Jesus, I come to you today asking, begging for your forgiveness. Jesus, I have made mistakes, but I wanna turn away from my old life. Jesus, I've heard today that you died for me. I heard that you were crucified. And I heard the amazing fact that you rose again three days later, conquering this penalty of sin and death just for me. And Jesus, I believe this. I wanna live for you. I wanna turn away and I wanna walk with you for the rest of my life. Jesus, show me what it means to be grateful for you every single day of my existence. Help me to be humble. Jesus, it's in your name I humbly pray.